Good evening. How's everybody doing today? Uh, if you don't have a copy yet, there, there's, there's more being made. It's a great crowd tonight. and uh, Brother John printed them for me, but uh, they, they weren't collated, so I wasn't expecting that. So I was up there trying to get them together. And Miss Bar, I shouldn't say I, but Miss Bunny was getting them together, so I appreciate that. Uh, but good to see you tonight. Uh, we've been, uh, of course, the last four weeks or so, through, this is week number four, we've been talking about how to, how to love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. So let's do this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll get started tonight. Can everybody hear me all right? Uh, I hope my voice is not too shot. I did preach twice already today, so, uh, so uh, I may not yell quite as loud as normal. Jamie can crank me up if I get too quiet. There you go. All right, let's pray. Father, we sure do love you today. Uh, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for just uh, your love for us. Thank you for your grace, Lord, that's so freely given. And, and tonight, as we open up your word, I just pray, Lord, we'd, we'd be attentive. I pray that you'd help us to... Uh, to apply some truths that would help us to do the one thing we're talking about in this class is to learn to love our, love you, our Lord God, with all our heart, soul, and mind. So bless our time together as we continue our series, Lord, with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you don't have a paper yet, maybe you can share with the person beside you. Uh, they probably read better than you do anyway, right? So <laughs> y'all can try that. Uh, for the past couple weeks, you, if you've been with us the whole time, you know what we've been doing. We've been looking at the the greatest commandment in the Bible, and the greatest commandment of the Bible, you know, the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is it? And the Lord answered them. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That is the first and great commandment, he said. And Luke and Mark recorded the exact same thing, and all three emphasized that, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And that's the series we're talking about, with all thy heart. So to, to begin to figure out what does that really mean? Right? It's easy to read something in Scripture sometimes, and you're saying, all right, that's great. But what does it mean to love the Lord with all that heart? That's what this whole, this whole series is about, trying to figure that out, study it from Scripture together, and figure out what does it mean. So to do that, we began that first week, if you remember, defining what does the word heart in Scripture mean. And we learned that it really focuses on the totality of our whole inner nature, all, everything that is about us. It, it was the things we knew, we know. It was our mind. It has to do with our thoughts, and, and we called that the mind of our heart. And it was the things that we love. That was our desires. We spent some time on that last week, the things we want or seek or feel. We called that the desires of our heart. And then ultimately it'll be, we'll get to it next week, the things that we choose. And, and that's the, the, our will, if you would, and the, the choices we make, things we say yes or no to, the things that uh, we resist or, or, or submit to. And so we learned that. Our heart's made up of then our mind. Our heart's made up of our desires, and our heart's made up of our will uh, when you talk about the biblical heart. So two weeks ago, we focused really hard on the mind, the mind of the heart. Remember, we looked at the sins of the mind, the strongholds of the mind. We talked about there were protection strongholds and prison strongholds, and, and there's good strongholds. That's the ones where we, we flee and we think on things that are true and pure and just and honest, and, and we focus on things that come from the Word of God, what God says, truth. But those, those prison strongholds, too often is where we go in it. So when we let things stir around in our mind and, and it becomes a stronghold, a place that protects us from the truth. You know, we don't want to hear the, the truth of God's word when we're over here wallowing, right? And uh, so we, we looked at that together the last couple of weeks. And last week, we spent the time on our hearts, the desires of our hearts. And, and we talked about, just like our thoughts, thoughts can be good, thoughts can be bad. Thoughts can be righteous, thoughts can be wicked, right? Everybody had those probably twice today, many times a day already, right? 
Desires are the same way. Our desires can be righteous. Our desires can be good. But our desires also can be evil. They can also be wicked. And last week we started looking at some of that. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, talking about our desires, he said it's in Mark 7, verse 21. He said, from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulterers, adulteries, uh, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, gives that whole list, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, he said, come from within and defile the man. But likewise, Scripture also talks about how we can have a pure heart and, and how when we have righteous desires and, and we seek God first and we seek the kingdom and we seek His righteousness and we seek loving one another out of charity, that we can have that good heart. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.5, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of peace, of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. And that quote I, I told you last week, I really love J.C. Ryle saying, hey, our, our heart is a field occupied by two rival camps. Isn't that true? It's always kind of a battle going on back and forth. And, and so desires we learned last week can be good or bad. They can be either one. And so it's, it's not wrong to have desires. God made us to have desires. Uh, the ultimate thing is the real issue is whether the object of our desire is lawful or unlawful, is righteous or wicked, good or evil. And so... So last week, then we, we ended our times looking specifically at James chapter 1 and, uh, and looked at that sinful desires, how they came in. And I had the fishing rod, and as you could tell, I hooked the chair over there and, and, uh, and got hooked up. But we, we started looking at that. We talked about the author uh, of our, our sinful desires. We know they're not from the Lord. The Lord never tempts us to sin, right? They always come from our lust, John, uh, James told us. We looked at it last week. Our, our, our own desires are our own craving for what is forbidden. That's what's to blame. It's our fault. Then we saw how the whole process came about, the advancement of it. We saw how, how we're drawn away, the courtship, and that lure's thrown. It's right in front of you, and, and it's trying to draw you, the fisherman term there, literally trying to bait you out and dangling in front of you. Now, we talked about it's not a sin to have that temptation there, is it? Hey, the temptations are all around. That's not the sin yet. And uh, the Lord in front of you, when it's right there in front of you, you have a choice at that point. Am I going to keep looking at it? Or am I going to swim away? Am I going to get out of here, run, flee? When, and when temptation comes, what do you do? And over and over, the Bible tells us, flee. Flee evil things. Flee fornication. Flee youthful lusts. And so if we protect ourselves during that that courtship phrase, if you would, phase, if you would, then we'll never get to consent. And, but many times we do, and that was the next one we looked at. When we get enticed, we consent. That's when we give mental uh, uh, consent to, to do it. We're literally trapped by the bait at that point. We, we allow the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to make us want to take that bite. Uh, again, we consent mentally to it. Uh, we're like the fish that sees the lure, and he, oh, that looks good, and he gives in, and he grabs the bite. And he decides that mentally, and that leads to conceiving. We had first thunk it, then we desired it, then we'd done it. We talked about that. And finally, the Bible says in James that, listen, once that hook's set and that line's reeled in, the fish is in the net, guess what? It brings about death. And that's certainly what sin does to us all the time. There, one thing we need to remember, there's always a hook in the lure, right? There's always a hook in there. So, so that's where we made it to last week. That was a lot of review real fast. Y'all keep up real quick? <laughs> uh, but this week, we're going to look at what we didn't get to there. Was how do we, when all this comes about, when we're being tempted, how do we avoid that temptation? How do we avoid those sinful desires? How do we avoid that hook that's been, or that 
lure that's been thrown right in front of us. And, and uh, so let's look at that together. There's three steps I want to focus in hard tonight. Uh, three steps. And they're really steps of progression, if you would. I want you to look at it this way. I want you to look at it as, as hey, we're taking a baby step first, right? I'm not there. I haven't arrived yet. Then, then I take a second step that's better than the first step, but not as good as what God ultimately wants us. And finally, hey, I take that last step, and I'm where God wants me to be, which ultimately the goal there is a pure heart. But you don't get there overnight. It takes some baby steps. So I want to I look at some of these steps together. And uh, when those sinful desires come, when those, that temptation, when that lure is right in front of you, and you're wanting to take a bite, uh, what do we do to avoid those wrong desires? I simply called the first one this, we need to protect our heart. We need to protect our heart. We need to, uh, this is a protected heart. And so James 1.16, that was the next verse in our text last week we didn't get to. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't err. So here's the, here's the goal. Be aware of your surroundings. That's kind of the idea. We need to be aware of the wrong influences. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. I think I gave it to you in your notes uh, there. But he just simply said this. He said, he's talking about dealing with these sinful desires. How do we deal with them? He said, learn what settings that you're in when you fall. Take a look at what setting I am when I give in, when I fall. And then here's the big one. He said, avoid them. Pretty simple, isn't it? <laughs> find the settings. Find out those settings that tempt me to fall and then avoid them. Learn what props the, uh, that you have that support your sin. What's the things that are present that, that, that help support that? And then he said, eliminate them. And then learn what people you're usually with when you want to go down that road. And he said, avoid them. Uh, that's pretty good. That's what we're going to look at here in this first section as we talk about protecting our heart. So the first one is what settings cause you to give in to the desires of your heart that don't please the Lord? Let me give you some illustrations here. Now, I'm not harping on any one of these. Listen, every one of us got struggles, amen? I'm going to give an illustration to get your mind rolling, okay? This might not be yours, but you got one, <laughs> and, I, and I have one, if we're just get real honest. But let's just use this one. If you struggle with drinking, right? Here's a simple one. Apply those principles. Don't, be, don't put yourself in a situation where alcohol is present. That's pretty easy, right? Uh, that's that. Avoid those settings where it's present. I used to, uh, when I was pastoring, we... We had a program, I think y'all maybe used to have it here. We used to have it here, Reformers Unanimous. Anybody ever heard of that? It's an addictions-based program. And, and uh, I used to teach in that. And, and I was working with a man one time that was trying to get victory over being a drunkard. And, and uh, told me, he was telling me how he was getting help. He was coming every week. He's getting pretty faithful and applying the lessons, learning to be filled with the Spirit and, and learning to say no to the flesh, the, the ultimate goal. And, but, but he was still young, still going, and, and we're talking about this principle. You've you got to start just by protecting yourself. You're not ready to look at, look at that temptation right in the face and say no every time. Get away from it. That's where you've got to be here. Flee from it right now. You're not, you're not strong enough for that yet. And so, but he would tell me the story. He said, boy, I had a good week. But you know on my way home, and this is real. This is what he actually told me. I, I do so good throughout the day. I'm not even thinking about drinking. I'm not even thinking about those things. But on my way home, every night, I go right by the ABC store. And I see that sign. He said, I've been able to get past it a couple times, but that thing just lures me in. And I'd use that, that idea of the fishing lure uh, concept in one of our teachings. And, uh, and he said, it's like that lure, and I just want to go. I, 
Sometimes I just can't help it. I go take a bite. You know what I said? It's pretty simple, pretty practical. I said, is there another way you can go home? Huh? Yeah, well, well, no, not well. Then. Yeah, I could go out Route 60 and go over. You know, he started designing. He said, but that'd take 10 extra minutes. I said, well, take 10 extra minutes. You're not ready to say no every night yet. That's, it's a progression. Protect your heart. That's what we're talking about right now. This is step one. We've got to guard our heart. And another time I was counseling a, uh, a couple that the lady had had an affair with a coworker, and, and uh, she still worked there. She came in and said, you know, it's very hard for me not to, not to have a desire for him. I see him every single day. I just looked at her and said, quit your job. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? What's more important, your job or your marriage? That sounds hard, doesn't it? But that, that was the truth. It was real. Uh, listen, if you're ever in any situation that's causing you to have desires for another person other than your spouse and or, or a situation where your desires for things that stubborn habits that you have that, that listen, that, that you just can't say no to, then avoid that situation. That's it. Until you can get your heart clean and pure, the best thing you can do is avoid it. If that means quitting your job, it means quitting your job. Hey, my dad used to say this all the time. He used to, <laughs> he was, he was kind of, he had a unique skill set that was always in demand. He was very good at the things he did. So he could drag up, that was his terms, I'd just drag up and go to another place. And <laughs> uh, he, he'd do that a lot. He changed jobs a lot throughout his life. And, and, uh, and he used to say this, he said, uh, listen, I was looking for a job when I fell in this hole. <laughs> you know, think about that. If, if that hole is causing you issues, then, then there'll be another one you can fall in. Go, go find another one. If, if something is there that's causing you ever, find out another way. Avoid those situations. Protect your heart. Avoid the wrong desires. The great theologian, Doc Campbell. Anybody watch Hee Haw? Y'all get that here in a minute. <laughs> great theologian said this. He said uh, he had a patient who broke his arm in two places. And the doc said, here, let me tell you what to do. Stay out of those places. <laughs> Pretty good theology, isn't it? <laughs> Avoid settings that, cause you, that lure you to fall. Avoid props that cause you to sin. Listen, if you, you struggle with some other thing like pornography and, and you got a computer and it's in the pro, this little private area where nobody can see you, put it out in the middle of the area. Better yet, buy a filter. They make these filters that will protect you from me being able to get there. You say, well, that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord doesn't want me to have that desire. You're right. He doesn't, but you're not there yet. Step one. We're on step one. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Uh, uh, if you struggle with social media, being a busybody, you know, they still make regular phones that just do phones. Y'all know that? <laughs> we don't all have to have a smartphone. If it's, if it's got you addicted to certain things, hey, get rid of that thing. Go get a regular phone. Uh, you know, we survived a lot of years of society without all that stuff. We think we got to have it all now. What's more important to you is the point, right? Protecting yourself from the things that you struggle with, whatever that is, and it's different for all of us, or continuing to fall in for that, that desire that God wouldn't please God. The point is avoid settings and stuff that cause you to fall, that supports your sin. The principle that I gave you there, and lastly, I would be simply people. Uh, covering his last one, people. Uh, if there's people, listen, if you do well when you're with this crowd, but you get with this crowd, and we all got one of those crowds, you all know what I'm talking about. I got, listen, I, I grew up in this town, and I wasn't saved until I was 30. All right. I'm not glorifying sin, but I'm just telling you, I got a whole crew, and I'm friends with them. I'm not cutting them off, right? Now I want to win them to Christ. But 
I can't go the places they go. I can't do the things they used to do, and I can't hang out with them all the time like I used to hang out with them because they're going to make me want to do things I used to do. But I got some other friends, listen, they encourage me, they edify me, they make me want to be more like Jesus. That's the crowd I need to hang out with. I need to avoid that crowd in the sense of hanging out. It doesn't mean I have to be uh, shun them and all that. It just means that I don't need to go everywhere they go and so forth. And so there's a principle I want you to get. It's called people who don't love the Lord won't help you serve the Lord, right? Uh, so grab hold of that. Protect yourself from the surroundings, the situations, the settings, and the people that would tempt you or lure you that would influence you to give in to evil desires of your heart. That's step one, protecting your heart. That's a good first step. Would you agree with me? But that's nowhere near where God wants us to go. In fact, you won't find that one in the book. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good first step, so I added it in. But the second step is simply this. It's going a little bit further. It's not just protecting it. It's starting to purge our heart. It's starting to consecrate our desires. And, uh, you know, with the same power that Christ uh, redeemed us from sin's power, the, the condemning power, the penalty of sin, if you would, the corrupting power, you know, he wants to also give us the power to say no to that residual sin that's in our life. That same power is, is available to us. There's a process, the Bible talks about a big theolo theological word called sanctification. You're a Sunday night crowd, I'm sure you've heard that. Sanctification, it's, it's defined as this, the action of making something holy. It's the, the process of being freed from sin and purified, the action of causing something to be morally right or acceptable. Now, I want to tell you, none of those are a theological definition. That's straight from a regular dictionary. Theologically, we always say it this way, it's being set apart unto God. By the way, if I'm being set apart unto God, I'm being set apart from all those other desires that wouldn't please the Lord. And so there's really three phrases of, of sanctification. I don't want to get too deep in it, but I like to teach, and I don't want to just say something and hope you, have you figure you know it. So let's, let's look at them. Uh, there, there's positional sanctification. There's practical sanctification, and then ultimately there will be perfect sanctification. Positional, if you're saved child of God tonight, happened the day you got saved. And, and uh, it takes place the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. The Bible uses this phrase, in Christ. If you ever see in Christ, and there are so many verses that talk about who you are in Christ. That's who I am positionally. That's who I am as a saved child of God. It's how God looks at me. Jesus paid the, the penalty for our sin. It was applied to our account. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, by, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Positionally settled. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he hath protected or perfected them forever, uh, forever them that are sanctified. So what happens when we're in Christ? I want you to think about some of these wonderful things that happen. When we get born again by the grace of God, when we realize we're a sinner and we turn and we put our trust in the fact that Jesus died for us, was buried and rose again, and by faith call upon his name and receive him as Savior. Uh, the Bible has all kinds of, in fact, Charles Ryrie, I, I can't remember the, the amount, but it, it was like 60-some things that happened that moment when you trust Christ. And I know we don't have that much time, so I'll give you just about six of them. How about that? How about the, we were justified? That's a good word, isn't it? Y'all heard that one, Ed? Hey, we were justified. That, that means we were declared righteous, amen? Uh, Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, such were some of you, but you were washed. That was after a long list of bad stuff. 
Then he gets to verse 11 and says, And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Hey, we got saved. We were, we were declared righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ when his payment for our sin was put onto our account. Positionally, I'm perfect. Positionally, I'm righteous because of Jesus applied to me. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, Romans 3 and verse 24, the Bible says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know what else besides justified? I became a new creature. How many of you know 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, uh, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let's talk about that for just a moment. This is where you got to understand positional sanctification versus practical. Let me ask you this question. This is why a lot of people struggle. I've heard preachers in our Baptist churches preach this thing and say, Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And they harp on that and harp on that. If you were saved, you'd never have that wicked thought. Really? Y'all believe that? Because I'm looking at a room full, and I'm looking at a preacher who didn't save them because I still have them, don't you? See, you're not understanding who we are in Christ. That was our positional sanctification. Positionally, I'm a brand new creature. Practically, we're going to get to that here in a minute. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> Practically, I, I, got some, I got some growing up to do, if you would, and uh, some sanctification to do. But thank God, positionally, hey, I'm a brand new creature. Hey, the Bible goes on. You go to Ephesians 1. I love all of them. We'll go through them really quick. Uh, just some of them. We were adopted, the Bible says. Ephesians 1, 5, having predestined us to the, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We were accepted. I love that one, don't you? Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory uh, of his praise, uh, of his grace, sorry, wherein he hath made us accepted and beloved. I'm glad I don't have to do anything to make God love me anymore, aren't you? Hey, I am accepted. Why? Because I accepted Christ and I'm positionally, I'm in Christ, I'm positionally sanctified. That's why, that's what we're talking about. We were redeemed, thank God for that, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And then, thank God, we were also indwelt. I'm thankful the Holy Spirit indwelt me the day I trusted Christ, aren't you? Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Notice what happened there. You heard, you heard the truth. You heard the gospel, the fact that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Then after that, in whom also you believed, you put your full weight and trust in, is what that means, your 100% confidence in. Then here's what happened. The moment you did that, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I don't have to do anything else to get the Holy Spirit. I got him the day I got saved. Amen. And by the way, he goes on to say in Ephesians 4.30, I'm sealed until the day of redemption. That means until the Lord calls us home, it's settled, it's done, he's in there. And I'm thankful for that. Listen, and then also the greatest one, well, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I jumped ahead. We're also seated. I love this one. Seated. You said, what do I mean by that? Ephesians 2, 6, and he hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Because of what Jesus did and the day I trusted him as my personal Savior and the day I positionally was sanctified by him and put in Christ, I'm already seated in heavenly places. See, I throw your mind if you don't understand positional sanctification. Because you said, no, you're not. You're standing right up in front of us and yelling at us. <laughs> and uh, no, according to God, I'm already there. It's done. I'm already seated in heavenly places because of Jesus. Positionally is what we're talking about here. So these three phases of, thank, thank, uh, of sanctification. And also, please God, I'm also free from condemnation. How many of you are thankful for that? 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after flesh but after the Spirit. He that believeth on him is not condemned, John 3.18. The penalty, the condemnation for sin was removed. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Uh, now, once we're saved, then he begins, this is where we're getting to, to do a work in our life. Not only are we, we're supposed to, not only are we positionally sanctified, now he wants to practically, practically sanctify us. Uh, he wants to, some people call it, some theologians call it progressive sanctification. Here's what he wants to do. He wants who I am in Christ and who I am in me, which are two different people at times, right, to start matching. So he wants me to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and start doing this whole process we're getting ready to look at, putting off some things and putting on some things. And as I put off the things that those sinful desires that God wouldn't want me to have, and I start putting on the things that are of Christ, I become more and more like that perfect person I am in Christ. Now, will I completely arrive? Not until we get there. We'll get there in just a moment. So this is what we're talking about here when we're this second phase of this whole phase of, uh, of our heart. We're talking about purging our heart, purging, consecrating our desires. How do we do it? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at the how-to on this section. Ephesians chapter 4. Flip there with me tonight. This is sanctification that Paul was mentioning in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. He said, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. When he told us in 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he can be a vessel of honor. This is our daily walk. This is, who, this is our daily uh, standing, if you or state, if you would. Uh, my standing in Christ is perfect, but my daily state, who I am in me, sometimes isn't. And so here's what he's trying to say. He said, listen, until you get to this point and you're ready to put off, put on, avoid. Protect your heart. But as you grow in Christ now, take it next step. Start purging. Start purging. So Ephesians chapter 4, say amen if you're there. Look at verse 22 with me. Verse 22. It's always important to get the, uh, the context if you look back at Ephesians 1, 1 and Ephesians 1, 2, you'd find out who this is written to. This is written to the believers that are in Ephesus. So when we're reading these verses, it's talking about people who are saved. Y'all with me? Not, not the lost world. That's important when you read it. Know the context. It's written to people who are saved. And it's telling people who are saved that are positionally sanctified already that they need to get the desires of their heart cleaned up. And it's whole process of the... Well, theologians call it dehabituation and rehabituation. I like how I like how King James put it better. Just putting off, putting on, putting off, and putting on. And because uh, here's the truth, it's not possible to fight a fleshly appetite by indulging in it. We gotta learn to put off. Have you ever had a meal? You ever had one of those times when you were just starving to death? I mean, y'all ever been there? I mean, just so starving, and you got so busy you forgot to eat. Uh, the other day, I, I put in some high-quality food in our microwave around lunchtime. Uh, three bagels, three of those frozen, we call them burritos, yeah, three frozen burritos. And I even pushed the buttons. And my little team's thing's down at stairs, and my computer's going ding, 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 ding. That meant something was down, and I need to go try to get online and fix something. So I got distracted. I went down there. I was starving. That's why I did three and not just two. Uh, some of y'all would have done five. Don't laugh at me like that. Uh, 
I, that thing ran up there, and you know what? I got so busy at work fixing stuff. Later that evening, a bunny came home, and she's getting, she was working on dinner, and she opened the microwave and said, what's that? I said, that's my lunch. <laughs> I forgot all about it. Uh, I realized I didn't even eat it. And you know what? It didn't take long before I even wasn't hungry like I was then. Hungry as I could be, but I skipped it long enough that that appetite started to go away. Uh, the principle is somewhat similar that Paul's going to teach us here. He says, we've got to put off that thing, but here he's going to teach us one more principle. It's not just putting off, and so many times that's where we stop. I've I, I got to quit drinking. I'm going to quit drinking. What are you going to pl- replace it with? See, that's the problem. If we just put off, we leave a hole. Putting off is the idea of taking off your dirty clothes. All right. Well, if you don't put some clothes on, some clean clothes on, you're, you're naked, right? <laughs> so, listen, we've got to put on, too. That's the whole process. And look how he kind of puts it in, in the Word of God here as we, as we look at it. He says in verse 22, Ephesians 4, 22, he said that you put off concerning the former conversation. That word literally means the former lifestyle. The old man, he's talking about, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then look what he says in verse 24. Put on, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so put off that old man. The old desires, put on the new is what he's saying. And then he gets really specific and starts laying out some examples. In fact, verse 25, look what he says. Wherefore, put away lying. Every man speak truth with his neighbor. What are we putting away? What are we putting off? Lying. By the way, he's telling Christians to do this. Don't forget that. Put off lying and put on what? Speaking the truth. So put off, put on. Put off, put on. That's that process of uh, progressive sanctification. Uh, it keeps on going. Put away, he goes in verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And look at verse 27. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him what? Labor. Working, working his hands, the, the thing that, which is good. And that he may have to give to him that needeth. And so what are we putting off? Stealing. Taking things that aren't ours. And putting on working. Pretty simple, isn't it? Put off, put on. Put off, put on. Now he's getting even. Now he's starting to meddle. We get to verse 29. <laughs> Look what he says there. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Put off corrupt communication. Everybody with me? So by definition, what's corrupt communication? I've heard that, I've heard that taught and preached. Well, you got to quit cussing. It's way more than cussing. In fact, the best interpreter of Scripture is always what? Scripture. We only have to go far. The, the same verse, finish the sentence, it explains the opposite side of it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That literally means building up, that it may minister grace into the hearers. And so here's what he's saying. Put off corrupt communication. Well, you want a definition of what corrupt communication with? Anything that doesn't lift up somebody. That's what it means. So anything you say that tears down somebody, that derades somebody, that, 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 listen, cuts on somebody, put it off. If it's going to encourage somebody, lift up somebody, put it on. I, I don't know about you, we could just give an altar call right there. By the way, that would apply to things we post, text, say, thank, all those things. Uh, putting off, putting on. Putting off, 
putting on. Keep going. Uh, thank God we're just going to read verse 30 just because I love it. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, because that's what we do when we're, when we're putting, when we got those old things that we're not putting off, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Verse 31, it gets even tougher. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I can go through and define all those words. We don't have time for all that. That's the bad stuff, right? Anger and clamor and outbursts and, and bitterness, that raging inside of us that just sits there and sits there and sits there. He said, put it off. Put it away from you. What are we putting on in place of it? Verse 32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. He's put away all those old grudges. Put away that resentment towards a person or a situation or an event that happened and put on tenderheartedness, forgiveness, put on kindness. That's the process. Dehabituation, putting off, taking off the dirty clothes, rehabituation, putting on the clean clothes, putting away the sinful desires that don't please the Lord and putting on the, the, the desires of righteousness which do please the Lord. Uh, everybody with me so far? And by the way, you got help on this. Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you who guides you to all truth and leads you. If you ever have a questionable thing, is this right or wrong? Ask the Lord. Right? If you're saved, he's going to, he's going to lead you right. He'll lead you right. And, and so if you have questions about it after you ask the Lord, then you probably got your answer. Probably need to avoid it and put it off. Right? But, but if you got a clear heart about it, then, and you know it doesn't violate scripture in black and white, then go for it. Amen? Uh, so, so that's the idea. We're putting progressive sanctification or practical sanctification. Putting off the old man. Putting on the new. And we do that by yielding to the Spirit of God and the Word of God and saying no to the desires of the flesh. Jesus said, sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. So practical sanctification has to do with the way we live our daily lives. The choices we make all each and every moment. Are we yielding to the Spirit or yielding to the flesh? Are we putting off the flesh's desire and putting on the Spirit's desire for us? It's us cooperating with the Holy Spirit so we can grow in holiness by consecrating the desires of our heart. It's purging our heart's desires of the things that don't please God and allowing the Spirit of God to put on desires that do please Him. Putting off the old, putting on the new. Guess what happens when we do that? We start to be conformed into the image of His Son. And that's the ultimate goal. And then that's positional, perfect in front of Christ. Practical, that's how I live my daily life. Hey, uh, that certainly isn't perfect, but the more and more I put off and put on, the more I become like the Lord, the more, I, my, my, the more my daily practice starts to match my position a whole lot closer. And then one day, thank God, it won't happen to you. I know there's people out there that, that preach this mess about you can become perfectly sanctified while you're here on earth. That's a bunch of hogwash. Somebody say amen. If you're ever sitting under that stuff, you need to get out of there right away. Uh, you will not become perfectly sinless while you're still in this flesh on this earth. That's not an excuse to sin, but I'm just telling you, you won't. But one day we will. One day he'll call us in the clouds. And, and, and my, my Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. He said, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I like how John put it. He said, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. We're already positionally sanctified, he says. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Well, we know when, we, when he shall appear, we shall be liking, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. One day we'll be perfectly sanctified, but that's not until the Lord calls us home. Until then, here's the goal. Protect our heart. Protect. Guard it. Stay away from those situations. Purge it. Put, on the, put, put off the old sinful desires. Put on the new. Replace them. Put off the old man. Put on the new. And then eventually, here's where he really wants us to get to. This is what the book hits on at the end, is having a pure heart. A pure heart. You said, what's the difference between having a clean heart and a pure heart? Do you know we can get a clean heart really quick? If you're saved, I'm already positionally sanctified, but then I mess up sometimes. You know what that breaks? My fellowship with God. When you sin after you're saved, it breaks our fellowship. We don't lose sonship. We're still a son, but we can break our fellowship. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us how to get that back. If we confess our sins, he, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and from all unrighteousness. Thank God for that. He'll forgive us our sin, cleanse us again. We can have that fellowship restored. But ultimately where the Lord wants us to get here is not, not just having a protected heart, not just having a, a, a purge where we're always having to purge our hearts and put off, put on, but get to the place where we have a pure heart. A heart of undivided desires is kind of the idea there. See, pure heart here, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Kind of sounds like a clean heart, doesn't it? Because pure in itself is, has the idea of clean, but by definition it's more. Pure means free from contamination. Something without mixture or unwanted ele elements. I meant to bring as an illustration a bottle of water, but I'll use this one. This came out of our water jug thing at home. We got that one of them pure water things and you push the button and it puts it out. You know what I expect that to be? Free from contaminants. That's what they advertise it as. Pure water right on this big bottle, that five gallon thing that I lug up and down the steps and put on that thing. Y'all ought to see that. That's a challenging thing at times. That's a fight. <laughs> Getting on there without spilling it everywhere. But anyway, I expect it to be free from contaminants. He's drinking one right there. There you go. He can hold that up. You expect that bottle to be free. It says pure life. There you go. They're advertising. Amen. They're advertising as pure. What do you expect when you see that? You expect it to be 100% free from contaminant. Uh, clean means it was dirty and we had to clean it up. Pure means it has no contaminants at all. That's where God wants us to get to. He wants us to be without mixture. No dividing, if you would. If I had a shirt that said 100% cotton, that means it's not mixed with, you can tell I, I have expensive shirts, right? It's not mixed with uh, other, other fabrics, if you would. Let's get to some good stuff. I had a hamburger that said 100% grade A beef. That means there better not be any other proteins in it, right? No other mixtures of meat. It's supposed to be 100% good hamburger. Somebody say amen on that. Uh, likewise, here's the deal. A heart that's pure shouldn't have desires that are mixed or divided. This is, this is kind of the, that third tier. Most of us struggle to get here, don't we? Uh, I'm doing good putting off and putting on many times. But no, here's the principle I want you to get. If I put off the old man, 
If I put off an old desire long enough and put on a new desire to replace it, that's holy instead of the one that was wicked. If I do that long enough, eventually, I'm not going to want that old desire anymore. Eventually, my appetite, that illustration I was using before, for that, it'll just die. It'll just die because I'm not indulging in it anymore. By the way, if indulging in it would work, then, then you could take one thing of it and that should satisfy you, right? It never does, does it? makes you want more and more. And so, so eventually that thing dies. And eventually, at least in that one area, all I want is the new desire. And my heart's become pure in that one area. Does that make sense? As I get to that place, I've been putting off, putting on, putting off, putting on. Eventually I don't even have to put off anymore because that desire is not even there anymore. All I desire is this. And that's, now I've gotten to the place, at least in that one area. And there, there's a bazillion other ones, would you all agree? <laughs> uh, that's why it's a process where I'm pure. That's where God wants us to be. That's the ultimate step he wants us to get. He wants to, hey, protect yourself. Avoid it in the first place till you're strong enough to start get putting it off. And once you get to putting it off and putting it on, putting on the good and putting off the bad, eventually that desire for that bad will go away and you can get a pure heart, at least in that area. And that's the ultimate goal of sanctification. It's not about trying to extinguish desires as a whole. It's about desiring the things of the Lord more than we desire the things of the flesh. The final step when we get to where we truly love God with all our heart is when our heart is so pure that it's no longer double-minded, it's no longer divided, no longer has those impurities that we got to put off constantly on. All our desires are about pleasing the Lord. Psalm 73 verse 25 says, Whom, I, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Wouldn't that be nice if we got there? Huh. That's where the psalmist seems to have gotten to. Uh, let me close kind of with this illustration to, to lay this out. How many of you had to read uh, that Greek mythology stuff in school? Y'all remember that when you're in high school? How about Homer's Odyssey? You ever read that? I didn't. I'm going to be really honest with you. I, I, I went on a hiking trip with my stepdad and all his buddies. And I had this, that's a big book. That thing was due. I had to be done with it and know all about it and write a report on it, take a test on it and all that stuff by Monday. And we went on our hiking trip on Friday and I hadn't even started it. Thank goodness those men loved that book. So we hike and every time we take a break and when we camped at night, they just took turns reading that thing to me all weekend. I loved it. <laughs> And before we got done, they read the whole book to me before that whole weekend was done. Uh, because I never would have done it. I'd just be real honest with you. But if you remember Homer's Odyssey, the, there, there was, in fact, Greek mythology as a whole, there was this concept these sirens. Y'all remember the, that idea of the sirens? They were like human birds of some sort. They lived on some island out, out in the Western Sea. And they used their beautiful singing to mesmerize people, sailors on a ship when they were coming by. And they would just naturally want to gravitate their boats and head into that beautiful singing and they would crash on the rocks and, and die. And it happened over and over and over and over all throughout Greek mythology. In fact, all the ships in Greek mythology that I'm aware of that you read of, the seamen that tried to go by those islands, only two made it by. Two made it by. Were able to sail by them successfully. One was Odysseus. Uh, Y'all remember him? He took wax and he put wax in the ears of all his men on the ship. Then he had them bound, take and tie him up and bind him to the ship's mast so he couldn't move. So he couldn't steer the ship over there. So he put ear, wax in their ears to protect them from hearing. 
bound himself so it would protect him from steering the ship. And guess what? They made it by. In fact, I think about six of them died, if, I remember, if, if the, what I read was accurate there. I don't know what happened to them. I couldn't tell you. Maybe they took the wax out of their ears. I don't know. Jumped in and swam in. I don't know what really happened to them. But, but about six made it. But the ship as a whole, and they made it. They survived. You know what they did? They protected it. That was step one. Remember we talked about that tonight. He put protection. He avoided it in some way. Pretty good. Not a bad step. We're not throwing him under the, uh, under the boat for that. Uh, but there was another one. His name was or- Orpheus. Orpheus, sorry. Orpheus. And he was considered one of the greatest of the Greek musicians in mythology. And he was sailing, uh, as the account goes, with Jason and the Argonauts. And, and as they approached that island where the sirens were and they could start to hear those voices and those beautiful songs start to come, Orpheus, who was a great musician of himself, did something completely different. He didn't put wax in their ears. He didn't do any of that. He, brought, he got out his lyre, that, that harp-like instrument, and he began to play and sing. And his playing and singing was more beautiful of a melody than that mess they were singing about on the beach or over on the shore. In fact, his was so enticing and beautiful that everybody listened to his song. It was a sweeter music. It drowned out the the siren-seducing song. And guess what? Every single one of his people on that ship survived. Both were pretty good approaches. One was... Good, one was best. Would you agree with me that Orphus or Odysseus, he had worked, sorry, to protect his men by stuffing their ears with wax and he avoided the temptation. That was a whole lot better than giving in. That was that first step, limiting our access to the temptation. But the whole ultimate goal is for us to be more like Orphus. So our desire for the music of Orphus was greater than desirings. Let's put it like this to put it in context for us in Christ. Our desire to love and to follow Christ becomes a sweeter song than the music of the world and the flesh. Our desire for the things of Christ becomes stronger than the things of the desires for the things of the world. That's when our desires are no longer uh, divided. That's when we get to the place we have a pure heart. Until we're there, hey, guard yourself, avoid it, protect your heart. Hey, put off, uh, purge your heart. And, and if you put off long enough the old man and put on the new long enough, eventually they'll dissipate. And eventually you end up not just with a clean heart, but a pure heart. And then that's when we're ready to both with our minds and our desires to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Next week we'll look at the wheel. Because that's the third part of the heart, remember? The heart's made up of our things we think, our mind. It's made up of, the, our, of our desires. And then it's made up of our will, the things we choose. Next week, Lord willing, or I guess two weeks. We won't be here next week, right? In two weeks, we'll take a look at the will. Put all three of those together, and we get to apply these principles. Then we can truly do fulfill the greatest commandment in all Scripture. And truly love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time together tonight. I just pray now, Lord, that we apply some of these principles. Lord, and as we're beginning to tackle some of these desires that your Holy Spirit shows us that we shouldn't have, Lord. Maybe that first step, that's what we got to take. we got to learn to just protect ourselves. We need to guard. We need to avoid it. Lord, eventually we need to be working on putting that thing off and replacing it with something righteous. Filling that hole that was left with something that would please you. 
We do that long enough, Lord, we'll get to the place, at least in that area, where our heart becomes pure. We do that over and over and over and over. Eventually, Lord, our practice can start to match our position. That's sanctification. That's what you're teaching us here when it comes to consecrating our desires. Help us to apply it and put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good night.